The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. Uh, Book of Revelation continued. Pre-sermon, now we have real sermon. Picking up right where we had left off last week, trying to get through some of this as quickly as we can. And you know, I appreciate it. I've had so much good feedback from you guys. Uh, I get so many questions about eschatological and eschatology scriptures. And so um, it's nice to be able to go through this session and teach these things, and then, and again, as I mentioned last week, in teaching these things, this will get all of us sort of on the same page about some of these things, and so, you know what I'm saying, and that'll help us, and it'll give all of us a general framework, so I'm not belaboring every point, I'm going through several chapters each week, right, and so I'm giving point, you know, a framework that you can take this and apply it in your own study and reading and belief system and thinking and all of that, right? And it's incredibly liberating uh, to understand these things. Oh my goodness, it's it's ridiculously liberating to understand uh, that the Bible, you know, there is no, there's not a single verse in the Bible about a seven-year great tribulation. I don't care how popular it is. It doesn't matter if the best preachers preach it. It's not biblical. And if we want to be people of the Word, let's be people of the Word. And there was a three and a half year great tribulation. Daniel chapter 12 talks about, and a couple of other places, uh, more to come on that, uh, talk about in Revelation and Matthew. But uh, there was a three and a half year time of Jacob's trouble, another scripture calls it. Jacob is another name for Israel, and that's exactly what it was. And so uh, I don't think we, we just have a hard time grasping how significant this was. For, do you understand, for thousands of years, the living God operated through a mosaic law, temple-based system. We've never, we're not the generation that transitioned from that to a different system. So it's hard for us to appreciate. But I talk about it so much, I hope we, we see more and more. This was a, can you imagine, people have been doing this for thousands of years, and you show up one day and say, oh, we don't do it that way anymore. <laughs> It'd be like right now, if you took me, brownish, blondish, blue-eyed me, and dropped me off in the middle of Pakistan right now, and I rented out the biggest concert, piece of land, whatever they got, and everybody in the country came. I said, oh, you don't have, uh, we don't pray facing Mecca uh, five times a day anymore. Can you imagine the response? <laughs> Done. And if it was 2,000 years ago, they crucified you. And so basically, Jesus and Paul show up and say, knock, knock, got a new system for you. You know, and of course, they were all killed for their gospel message. So I'm trying to bring some, just how big and profound, this is a big deal. The destruction of Jerusalem and and the, the culminating in the destruction of the temple and the entire temple system is essentially the biggest event in Christian history outside of the events of the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and introduced the new system. The destruction of the temple ended officially the old system. The way it was done for thousands of years. It's a big deal. And I also hope you understand that this this has everything to do 
with grace, with new covenant, with transitioning, because that's what revelation is. It's transitioning out of the old and into the new. Revelation is an extremely grace, new covenant oriented book, letter. Hallelujah. Now, all of that being said, let's quickly go through a few things here, as quickly as I can, a lot of ground to cover, as always, because I'm trying to get through these, you know, with just kind of the high points. Uh, I want to read a few things to you here. Let's start in Revelation chapter 8. And then we'll start in verse 1. All right. It says, When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Verse 2, read 2, verse 6. He said, And I saw the seven angels uh, who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Verse 3, he says, And another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints. Now, there's a place earlier in the book that we read where he says the incense was the prayers of the saints, right? In particular, it was the saints who were being persecuted and killed for the faith during this time of transition. Um, so thank God he hears our prayers in our difficult times. Thank God for that. So that he might add it to the prayers of the altars, uh, of all the saints on the golden altar, which is before the throne. Verse 4, and the smoke of the incense with, with the prayers of the saints went up before God. Woo! Out of the angel's hand. I just tattoo that right on the inside of my eyelids. You know, just keep it before you, man. Our prayers are ever before God himself. Hallelujah. Amen. Verse 5. Now notice this. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. Now the word earth there, per usual, is the word gay. Of course, refers to the land of Israel. So he threw these down to the land. That, that would even be a better translation, the land. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Now this starts putting me in the mind of Mount Sinai. The thunders, the quakes, the lightning, the darkness, and this type of thing. It says, and the seven angels who had the seven trumpets pre prepared themselves to sound them. Now notice this, verse 7. The first sounded, and there came hell and fire mixed with blood. Now pay, pay attention to this if you can. There came hell and fire mixed with blood and they were thrown to the land. Now notice this. And a third of the land was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. Now I'm going to read something to you here. How many of you have ever heard of the famous, alive at that time, Jewish historian, Josephus. You ever just turned that name? Almost every hand. Okay. So he was a priest who lived at this time, but he was <laughs> snuck out of the city in a casket and came before, I, I can't remember if it was Titus or which one it was, but he, I forget, you can forget what he did, but he did something to curry favor with the general. All right? And uh, he was commissioned to be the 
eyewitness account of the, the events that happened. It's very interesting, Josephus has a couple of notes. This is outside of scripture, but Josephus as an outside historical eyewitness account even actually has a couple of references to uh, Jesus and when he had seen Jesus. It's really interesting. Uh, even called him Messiah, which is very interesting. Nonetheless, I want to read this to you here. Josephus, Jewish man, priest, taken captive, uh, and was a first-hand witness account historian. You can, you can get his writings for free, you know, and read the whole account uh, of everything that happened. But let me read this to you here. This is Josephus. He says, and now the Romans, although they were greatly distressed in getting together their materials, they raised their banks in 21 days. Now notice this. After they had cut down all the trees that were in the country, after they cut down all the trees. Now what did the verse say over here? Held in fire, mixed with blood, thrown to the land, a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Then Josephus here talks about some of these things. After they cut down all the trees that were in the country, that adjoined to the city, and for that, and that for 10 miles, says 90 furlongs, but it's 10 miles, round out, as I've already related. And truly, the very view itself of the country was a melancholy thing. For those places which were before adorned with trees and pleasant gardens were now become a desolate in every way, and its trees were all cut down. Nor could any foreigner that had formerly seen Judea and the most beautiful suburbs of the city and now saw it as a desert, could but lament and mourn sadly at so great a change. For the war had laid all signs of beauty quite waste. Nor if anyone that had known the place before had come suddenly to it now, would he have known it again? But though he were even at the city itself, itself he would have had to have inquired if it was it. So here we see a historical account to all these trees being destroyed and the beautiful city, the beautiful suburbs being slaughtered, laid waste, absolutely destroyed. Very interesting. Now, verse 8 and 9, notice this. The second angel sounded in something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. Now very often, particularly in the book of Revelation, when you, when you see the word sea, S-E-A, it very often refers to the Gentiles and the Gentile nations because they had to travel the seas to get to, because Jerusalem was something like a, it would be comparable just to one of your major, a Los Angeles, a Milan, a London. It was, it was a world-class, top-notch city, and it was renowned for its merchandise and uh, business and commerce and the things that happened there. Again, second angel sounded something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea had life, which had life, died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now let me read one more thing to you here by Josephus. So you notice this again, something like a great mountain thrown in there burning with fire. 
third of the sea became blood. Then he says a third of the creatures in the sea that had life uh, and, and the ships were destroyed. Now this, once again, is just one more uh, commentary by Josephus on this. He says, sometimes the Romans leaped into their ships with swords in their hands and slew the Jews. But some of them met the vessels. The Jews met the vessels. You know, they're trying to swim away, that type of thing. Some of them met the vessels, but the Romans caught them in the middle and destroyed at once all of their ships and all the people that were in them, the Jews. And for such as were drowning in the sea, if they lifted their heads up above the water, they were killed either by darts or they were caught between the vessels. But if in the desperate case they were in, they attempted to swim to their enemies, the Romans cut off either their heads or their hands. And indeed, they were destroyed after various manners everywhere, till the rest, being put to flight, were forced to go to the land, while the vessels uh, encompassed them about on the sea. But as many of those, as many of these were repulsed when they were coming ashore, they were killed by the darts upon the lake, and the Romans leaped out of their vessels and destroyed a great many more. One might then say that all the lake was all bloody and full of dead bodies, for none of them escaped. One of them might say the lake was all bloody, full of dead bodies, for none of them escaped. What did the verse here talk about? A third of the sea became blood. Wild. And Josephus, I, you, you cannot, it's false, you cannot read, you know, put the Bible in one hand and the modern newspaper in the other and tell them that's inaccurate. But Josephus was a first-hand account, and you can read his words to what happened, and just like that, you can see literal fulfillment things. And they were so slaughtered. And we're going to get into more of some of the terrible things uh, of mothers literally eating their own children, of uh, the sick, twisted games that the Romans would play as sport to kill the Jews. This was not some meek, mild, little insignificant situation. This was uh, tribulation. tribulation. This was great tribulation, to say the least. Now, oh, let's just read from that. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life, they died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs and waters. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Now, the word Wormwood as you probably know, it has a couple of connotations, but it just means uh, cursing, poison, poisonous, or bitter, bitterness. 
bitterness. Now this should bring to mind, you know, when Moses, when the children of Israel came across the bitter waters of Marah, what did God tell Moses to do? He took a tree and threw it into the bitter waters. And of course that symbolizes the cross. And within us, because of the cross, we have a, a spring of everlasting water, life, John chapter 4, within us. You understand? And so Jesus turns our bitter waters sweet. But here we have the reverse of that. Here we have even their water source becomes polluted. All right? And so many died because of that. Now, verse 12. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck. Now what sun, moon, and stars referred to biblically in prophetic language? The Jews, Israel. They were the sun, moon, and stars. So that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. Then I looked... And I heard an eagle flying in heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe. Now this is uh, these, these are the trumpets, the seven trumpets. He just told us the first four, but the last three of the seven are referred to as these three woes. Woe, woe, and woe. And this eagle here, uh, no, it's not America, but this the standard, part of the standard of the symbol for the Romans was an eagle. And so we see this happening here. More on that later. Uh, uh, hopefully. So he says, Then I looked, I heard an eagle flying in heaven. Because who was bringing these woes of judgment upon Israel? The Romans. Alright? Uh, and I mentioned this last week, and I want to mention, mention it again. Uh, there is a great truth that uh, we could deal with later on down the road. But there is a great truth that sometimes what we call the wrath of God uh, is nothing more than receiving uh, punishment for our own negative decision. I don't mean punishment from God. I mean, I mean if you drink a gallon of gasoline, you're probably going to die. It's the, it's the negative consequences of not functioning with, with God. All right? Now, uh, more on that later. Because, you know, Jesus told the Romans, I, the Jews, I would, I would that you would come unto me, but you will not. Therefore, your house is left to you desolate. Jesus is offering mercy and deliverance from this, but they didn't believe in him, and so they rejected his warnings. All right? Those who believed in him, what did he tell them? When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, flee to the mountains. And we know they did. Anyways, now, uh, next chapter here. Moving along pretty good. Be as quick as I can here without being too quick. <laughs> he says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key to the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then, now, now pay attention here. Uh, then out of the smoke came locusts upon the land, and power was given to them as scorpions of the earth have the power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the land or any green thing, nor trees, 
but only the men who do not have the seal. Now, we've dealt with the seal in the previous weeks, right? And so, uh, which, go, which is from the book of Ezekiel. He says, but only those who do not have the seal on their foreheads. They were not permitted to kill anyone, but only to torment them. Now, see, the, the Romans would do this type of thing to the Jews. They would have them on the brink of death, but wouldn't let them die. And we've already read multiple places in Revelation, which is quoting Jesus, who was quoting from the Old Testament, where it says they, the time would come when they would say, Mountains, please fall on us and kill us and end our suffering. But it, the, the pleasure of death would not come to them. They were forced to suffer. All right? And so we know the Romans played games with the Jews at various times and uh, tormented them, but wouldn't quite let them die, that type of thing. Now, I want you to think here, locusts represent plague, of course, but I want you to understand these, this, this dark smoke and these locusts come up out of this bottomless pit. This is demonic forces at work, in other words. But what he, these demons are doing these demons are causing and working through and influencing the Romans. And you're going to see that more clearly here. Notice this. What's he say? For five months. Now, by the way, this is a little another little historical interesting nugget here. In Jerusalem, in Israel at this time, the locust season was a five-month season. So there's a play on that here. It was from May till September. And so they understood that naturally. And so the Lord is revealing this to John spiritual application to what's what would happen here. So these locust spirits through these Romans were not permitted to kill, but they would torment for five months. Now notice this, but their torment was the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death, but they will not find it. They will long to die, but death flees from them. Now pay attention, verse 7. The appearance of the locust was like horses. What did the Romans travel on? Horses. Hello, horses. And on their heads, there appeared to be crowns. Yes, their armor. Hello, of gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. And my microphone's not on. Thank you. Hello, hello, hello. All right. Uh, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women. Their teeth were like teeth of lions. They were destructive. They had breastplates of iron. The, uh, the sound of their wings was like the sounds of chariots, uh, you think, because they were on horses, and very often they're literally in chariots. All right? Then he says this, they have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails they have power to hurt men for five months. Now I want you to think here, of course, you have Romans on the horses. You had some, you know, walking and traveling, but they were coming a long ways. They were on horses. But have you ever seen, even in movies, like you see uh, the horses will be up front, and behind the horses they're carrying these chariot things that the people are sitting in? I think that's what he's referring to, the tails, that the, these horses with these tails like scorpions. The, the Romans are in the backside of these chariots. You understand what I'm saying? And so these tails of these horses are like scorpions. Now, verse 11. They have as king over them the, the messenger, the angel, which is messenger of the abyss. In other words, who's actually influencing and leading them? Who's their king? These demonically led Romans, who's their king? These, these, yes, the devil, these dark demonic forces. 
And his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, or Abaddon, I don't know, Abaddon, tell him you're going to say it. It says, uh, and in the Greek, his name is Apollyon. Now, Apollyon or Abaddon means destroy or destroyer. Now, you understand very often in your Bible, the word desolate or desolation is used. That's the word destroy or destruct or destruction. And that's a, that's a prominent thing. Uh, Daniel talked about the abomination of desolation, which is literally the abomination of destruction. And then Jesus talked about the abomination of destruction. What was the abomination that destroyed? It was when Gentiles came into the temple that they had they were not supposed to be in and destroyed that temple. The abomination of destruction. All right? Desolation literally just means destruction. So when the, the Gentile Romans came in, they were an abomination in that temple, but they were abomination that destroyed the temple and its system. Now, he says, the first one was passed. Behold, two woes are still coming after these. The sixth angel sounded. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Verse 14. One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. <clears throat> and the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released. So they could kill a third of mankind. Now, if you don't get anything today, please get this. This is one of the worst misinterpreted, grotesque, uh, bizarre, wild theory, conspiracy leading to uh, things in all the book of Revelation. Verse 16. It says, The number of the armies of the horsemen was, what's your translations say? 200 million. 200 million. Anyone else? Revelation 9.16. Do most of them say 200 million? Yeah. So the problem with that is everything. That's one of the most grotesque mistranslations. The literal translation is the number of them was myriads of myriads or myriads of thousands. So why in all of Yahweh's green goodness they put 200 million here is beyond me. That is not what it says in the Greek. The number of them was myriads and myriads or myriads of thousands. Either one is an accurately applicable translation of the Greek. So people get, oh, that's got to be the Muslims. So there's, nope. Oh, it's got to be the Chinese army. Nope. Thousands. Myriads of thousands. <coughs> there were myriads of thousands of Romans when they came in and destroyed them. And this is how I saw the vision of the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had a blessed breastplate, the color of fire, and something, and a brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouth proceeds fire, smoke, and brimstone. They're, they're utter destruction. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and smoke and brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. I'm trying to hurry through this. For the power of the horse, horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents and have heads. And with them they do harm. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, nor repented of their works of their hands, they did not repent of worshiping demons and the idols of gold and silver, brass, stone, wood, which can neither see nor walk. They did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their immoralities, or their thefts. 
And this was, in other words, this is how corrupt the Jewish system was. What did Jesus call them? In the, he said, you've turned my father's house into a what? Den of thieves. All right? And right here you see thefts mentioned at the bottom of this. And that's exactly what the Jewish people, the, the leadership, had turned the system into. It was no longer honoring Yahweh. It was their own set up system to honor. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. You don't, you want honor unto yourself. That's why you announce it when you pray and fast and all these types of things. Uh, bear with me. Revelation chapter 10. Very quickly here and we're finished. Tell you what, let me read this one more quote uh, to you here by Joseph, because this is just too good to pass up. <clears throat> Considering what we just read there in Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9 there, and especially when he says they don't repent. And all Josephus said this. Neither did any other city, that is Jerusalem, ever suffer such miseries. Nor did any age ever breed a generation more fruitful in wickedness than this one from the beginning of the world. He said, now notice this, please get, listen to this. He says, I suppose that had the Romans delayed any longer in their coming against those villains, his, his own Jewish people, he said, I suppose the city would have either been swallowed up by the ground or overflowed by water or else been destroyed by such a thunder as the country in Sodom perished by, for it had brought forth such a generation of men who were more <coughs> atheistical than those uh, that suffered such punishments. They were worse than Sodom, he says. For by their madness it was that all the people came to be destroyed. The Jews, by their own madness, they came to be destroyed. And that's another aspect. The, the Jews provoked the Romans in threats of uprising and attempts at uprising and overthrowing them and being a sovereign nation again and brought on their own desolation, all right? Now, and we see just one more of the many accounts where he talks about how wicked and vile they were. And Jesus, see, he, called, he compared them to Sodom here. Jesus literally, in Matthew chapter 12, he compared that generation to Sodom. And he says, I suppose it'll be more acceptable for Sodom in the day of judgment than it will be for this generation. Amen. You know he said that, right? And then you see it back here. And, uh, it's just incredible. You, know, you see these things happen and it starts to click and make sense and these types of things. Revelation 10. And I saw another strong angel, messenger, coming out, down from heaven. He was clothed with a cloud. And the rainbow was upon his head. His face was like the sun. His feet were like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, which was open. Now you take a guess at who this might be. Coming in the clouds, which is all through the Old and New Testament, a reference for God coming, coming in the clouds. Um... Rainbow on his head, covenant of peace, uh, face like the sun, all this many places, feet like the of fire, hearkening back to Revelation 1 there. 
uh, had in his hand a little book, which we know that, as we read in previous chapters here, there, there was the book of the scroll with the seals on it, and no one was worthy to open it, except for the lamb that had been slain, but who was now alive. He took it and opened it. Here's this same, but now he's not appearing as a slain lamb. He's appearing as the king of kings. All right? So he has this book. Then it says he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. And, and you can just make a note. That's kind of a reference back to Daniel chapter 12. And you can just go read that. It's just a few verses uh, that, uh, where the angels stood, feet on land, feet on sea. Anyways. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. Lion of the tribe of Judah. And when he cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder had spoken, and do not write them. Now that's interesting because you have these different, you know, the, the seven bowls and the seven trumpets. And, uh, but then you have this seven, and for whatever reason, this is the one seven, the seven thunders that are not revealed what they were, and we just... There's really no point even speculating, I suppose. Uh, there are different guesses and theories as to what it could have been, but um, we just don't know. So that's just a little side nugget for you there. But verse 6, he says, And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the, the land and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it. Now notice this, and there will be delay no longer. Revelation 10, 6. There will be delay no longer. What does your translation say? Delay no longer. Is it no more waiting or delay? Any other? No? Does anybody have a King James problem? New King James. Original King James say Revelation 10.6. Just that last clause here. Delay no longer. How's it say it? Okay, well then, good. That's that's the accurate translation. It seems I've come across some translations that say something like uh, "time no more." That's what time no longer. Okay, that's an inaccurate translation. It should not. That's not a good translation. Uh, it should be there be no more delay. And that harkens back to Habakkuk chapter 2, which the author of Hebrews quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, when he said, He who comes will come and will not delay. And Hebrews was written right on the brink of invasion. Jesus said in Matthew 24 that the wicked servant says his master delays his coming. And the church has been saying he delayed for 2,000 years now. There was no delay. These things happened soon, quickly, at hand, when the scriptures said they would happen. So that's just a little nugget that's worth holding on to. Uh, first closing here, very quickly. But in the, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, and the mystery of God is finished, as he preached to his servants the prophets, in other words, the mystery, what is the mystery of God? Paul tells us over and over and over again, Christ, Christ in you. So the, the law that was veiling the, the Christ truth, the delay was no longer, that which was veiling it, the mosaic system, was ending, and the mystery of God is fully revealed. All right? Then I heard, uh, the voice I heard from heaven saying, 
Go and take the book which is open in the hand of the messenger who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel or the messenger, telling him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but it will be in your mouth as sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, You must prophesy again concerning many peoples, nations, tongues, kings. Now let me show you this in Ezekiel. And just look up here, just so we can, just for the sake of time, just, I'll show it to you here. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. What did he tell John? Eat this little book, for you must prophesy again. Same thing here. See, this bizarre stuff as I've harped on every week. It's from the scriptures. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me the scroll. Any of you ever try to feed me a book? I'm going to bite your hand. Hallelujah. <laughs> and he, he fed me this scroll. What's he say here? He said to me, Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll which I'm giving you. Then I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. And that's exactly what we see there uh, in Revelation. Uh, chapter 10, where we left off there. Um, a couple of closing thoughts here. You know, he's eating the book. So it's sweet as honey, but it's also bitter in the stomach. It was bitter for the curses of judgment coming on those who rejected and killed and rejected the Messiah. But it was sweet land flowing with milk and honey to those who had accepted and received their Messiah. Amen? And so that's what we see happening here. Um, also, there is an idiom all throughout Scripture about eating being likened unto receiving knowledge, enlightenment, or experiencing something of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, uh, even at the very beginning of, of, even though it's mystical and mysterious, I don't think we should over literalize it. But it's true. Don't misunderstand me. But we need to understand its symbolic language. But even at the very beginning where we see a tree of life, whatever that actually was, um, at the same time we have a cross, our tree of life, but there's also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we see this idiom, and the law system was the system of the knowledge of good and evil. Paul said in Romans 3, for by the law is the knowledge of sin, right? And so we see this whole thing uh, being played out here. John eats the scroll and then he prophesies uh, to many peoples, nations, tongues, tribes. That concerns Jerusalem's judgment, but the gospel going out into the world, right? And so even later on, we'll answer some questions for you, like in Revelation 20, when it talks about Satan being bound. But that's not what it says. He was bound, it says, so that he could no longer deceive the nations. Well, how does that work? Well, the gospel is the truth that makes people free. So that even though Satan tried to stop it, see, when Jesus came, the devil was not on the inside scoop of what was happening. We even know that there were demons. And they said, Jesus, Son of God, we know who you are. Why have you come? 
See, they didn't, they weren't in. And then later on, after the cross, Paul tells us in First Corinthians, and then uh, other places kind of mention it somewhat, but Paul said, if they knew what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Right. See, they didn't know. They thought they could stomp him out and end this thing. Because the devil, just like the Jews, thought the Messiah was going to come and set up a natural, earthly, physical, worldly, law-based system, kingdom. But that wasn't what he was coming to establish. So they didn't know that by killing him, he was killing death itself. Which Hebrews chapter 2 says that by death, he defeated or destroyed him who had the power of death. Second Timothy 1.10 says he abolished death. All right? And so Satan was bound so that he could no longer deceive the nations. Handful of verses later, Revelation chapter 22, it says that the Lamb and the gospel uh, is, is uh, as I said, the tree of life uh, in the new creation uh, is for the healing of the nations. That's the gospel going out into all the world. All right? And then he says near the end of Revelation 22, he says, the spirit and the bride, the Holy Spirit working through us, tells all of those who are outside of the city, come, come. He says, you know, the, the, the liars, the drunkards, the this is, the that's is, the sorcerers, the whatevers are outside the city. But we beckon to them, come. See, that's our message. You've been forgiven and reconciled. You just don't know it or believe it or accept it. But taste and see that the word is good. Come on in. It's a good city to be in. You will like being a citizen of this place. Amen? Amen. Amen. Closing thoughts, questions, comments? Probably not. It's 1251. I'm sorry. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. This is a, a, a gospel that, a truth that makes free. <clears throat> Hallelujah. And as with anything, I'm not belligerent or demanding or anything. We report, you decide, you know? I mean, just try it out. See, see how it fits. But as I'm teaching... I just encourage our friends online and if you don't just sit there and deflect because because it doesn't line up with what you've been taught. Don't just sit there and make it bounce. Just just taste it. And if it doesn't, legitimately taste it. See if freedom and victory is a little bit better than fear of defeat. Uh, believing that the devil's going to take over and win. I, I'm not going to sit around and wait for the devil to take over. This lie that the devil's the god of this world and he's going to take over and win and all this stuff, and that's absurd. Yeah. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Thank you. Second Corinthians 4 said at that time that Satan was the G-O-D, little g, of that age. It's not cosmos. He's not the god of this world. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This does not belong to Satan. And as long as we sit back and believe this world belongs to the devil and sit with our hands tied and let him take over, if he takes over, it's our fault. Amen. It's not some prophetic inevitability. It's us, well, it's supposed to get worse anyway, so let's just let it happen. No, let's do, let's be the salt and light of the earth and the city set on a hill that we're supposed to be. Amen? Amen. The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.